Well, this morning, it's my pleasure to introduce to you our guest preacher, uh, Scott Dudley. Scott is senior pastor at Bellevue Prez in Seattle, Washington. Uh, he and his wife, Christina, have three children who have all successfully launched out of the nest despite surviving 18 years to life as preacher's kids, which is no small uh, accomplishment. Before serving at Bell Prez, Scott was college pastor and teaching pastor at Menlo Park Prez, and before that, a professor at Stanford, where he's also an alum. Uh, he's got even more impressive resume things you can Google and learn about, uh, but we'd be here all day if I were to keep going through those. Uh, but I just want to share with you two ways that Scott has really impacted my life. Uh, one is through his excellent preaching. Uh, you, will, you will get to experience that in a moment for yourselves if you haven't already. Um, I listen to Scott most weeks, and uh, your preaching, Scott, has really gotten us through some, some really hard times with, you know, uh, child struggles, adoption journey, health stuff. Uh, your preaching has just been one that has constantly pointed us back to Jesus and back to hope. Um, and the other way that Scott has really impacted uh, my life and indirectly so many of ours, even if you don't realize it, is um, by his role as, as a mentor and a leader and a teacher. Uh, he was a, uh, as I said, a college professor and a college minister at, uh, in, uh, in Palo Alto when, when Brian was studying at Stanford and working at Menlo. And if you can survive being a college pastor, you can survive a lot of things. It took me about a year of knowing Brian before I realized that Scott and Dudley were the same person. The Scott stories always began sort of like, Scott to spend some wisdom. You know, the most important thing about preaching, Scott always said, was, and, and the stories where he was Dudley was sort of when there was a story about uh, college ministry and something happening that you can't describe in a church, not from Scott, but from uh, our dear friend Brian. Uh, and, you know, Dudley had to tell us what we needed to do, or Dudley almost got fired again because of what we did. Um, but I bring this up because that points to that second way in which you've impacted so many of us. Um, it is uh, the way you've impacted us through those that you taught. Uh, Jesus identified with a lot of titles, and one of them was teacher. And Scott, you are not just a great preacher, but you're a great teacher because of the way that you have poured into the lives of others. So we thank you for that. Will you join me in welcoming Scott? <clears throat> Thanks, Josh. Um, I am really grateful to be here. Uh, it is a privilege. Uh, my wife and I have prayed for you uh, and Allie and the kids uh, every single day since, since Brian died and prayed for this church as well. And I just want to say uh, two things to you, and I know you've heard them before, but they bear repeating. The first is you just need to know how much Brian loved being your pastor. He loved you guys, and he would talk so glowingly about his church, and he really cared about you guys. The second thing I want to say personally, as one of Brian's friends, as one of his mentors, uh, I want to say thank you for loving him so well, and for loving his family so well, and for continuing to love him and his family so well. Uh, and he, was always, he felt very loved here, and so I feel like I know you because Brian would talk so much about you. So it's a privilege, it's a privilege to be here today. Um, join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here. And as we turn to your word, ask that you would use it to make us more like Jesus. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
Well, a while back at my church, I was preaching on the biblical characters Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who God delivered from a fiery furnace. And if you've been around churches a lot, you always hear those three names together, right? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. It has a nice sort of rhythm to it. Well, after that sermon, a woman came up to me and said that she had a really good friend who had three sons, and she named them Shadrach, Meshach, and Richard. <laughs> like, why? Like, after doing Shadrach and Meshach, like, first of all, why Shadrach and Meshach in the first place? But why didn't you go all the way, right? And imagine introducing them. These are my sons, Shadrach, Meshach, and then there's Richard. And it doesn't feel right to us because those three names should go together. And I think that underscores the way that names really matter. That's why the parents spend a lot of time naming their kids the way, you know, what they think is going to be the appropriate name. And they're careful about the names they choose, except apparently for the mother of Shadrach, Meshach, and Richard. Names really matter. And in the Bible, names really, really mattered. Because they weren't just names. They, names were, they were thought to sum up your character, who you were, what you were about. So it's really significant that there are a lot of different names for God in the Bible. For instance, Jehovah Jireh means the Lord provides. Jehovah Rapha means the Lord is healer. And each name for God says something about his character, what he does, what he cares about. And, and, and the passage that I'm going to read today uh, from Genesis chapter 14 uses the name for God in Hebrew. It's El Elyon. It means God most high. God most high. And each name for God also speaks to us personally about our hopes, our fears, our struggles, our plans. And I think this name, God Most High, can give us courage and hope when we face challenging and difficult times. Relationship problems, school, work, financial issues, health problems, whatever it is. For me, this has been a rough couple of weeks. Uh, Brian was one of my closest friends. Uh, to me, he was like a son, but he was also a brother in Christ. He was a colleague in ministry, and I have a lot of grief. And that's going to stick around for a while, that grief. And I know you do too. And maybe even wondering as a church, okay, what's next? Where do we go from here? Last week, Richard Connisher was here to talk about how we need to go through the dark valleys of our life. We need to go through them, but we don't want to get stuck there. And I think this name, God Most High, kind of points to ways that we can continue to move forward, even if you're like me, even as, as we grieve. So the background for the text I'm about to read is there's this king named Ketaliomar, and he conquers a bunch of other kings and takes a whole bunch of people hostage, captives, including a man named Lot, who is the nephew of Abram, who God, in two chapters later, is going to change his name to Abraham, which means father of many, because he's the father of the nation of Israel. So Abram rounds up, you know, a couple hundred men to go get his nephew, Lot, back from Ketoliomar, and he wins the battle. And then another king named Melchizedek comes along to meet him, and the text says this, after Abram returned from defeating Ketoliomar, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. He uses the phrase God Most High three times in just two verses. 
And that name, I think, gives us courage and hope and points our way to our future in a couple of ways I want to talk about. And I'm also going to tell you a lot of stories. I like to tell stories when I preach because I think stories can be very, very encouraging. And I think the first way, the first thing that this name, God Most High, points to is in the words of Dr. Tony Evans, there is a difference between source and resource. And if we confuse source and resource, we get anxious, we get worried, we get stressed out. When Melchizedek says, blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that's a source-resource statement. God is the creator of everything, which means he is the source of every resource that we have. And if we look to a resource to be our sense of security and hope, we're going to get all messed up. So, for instance, money is not the source of our security. Or a job is not the source of our security. It's a resource that God uses. The source is God, not the resource. And if we get attached to the resource, then we get really anxious and troubled if we start to fear losing it. The source of our security is God. He gave us the abilities to earn a living. It's not money. It's God is the, is, is, is the resource. God is the source. The resource is the money. Um, the source of our hope is not any pastor. The source of our hope is not any program. The source of our hope is not any job or relationship. The source of our hope is not any politician. Really, the source of our hope is not any politician. Those are all resources, but the source of our hope is Jesus. Melchizedek says to Abraham, praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hands. He makes it clear it wasn't Abram that won the battle. Abram was important, he was involved, but Abram was the resource that God the source used. And when we understand the difference between source and resource, it gives us courage because it means even if a source dries up, our resource has more sources. Um, as, as Josh said, I had another career before I was a pastor. Uh, I got a PhD in English literature so I could be a professor. And as I was finishing my PhD and, and teaching at Stanford, I applied for a, pre a professor job at Baylor University that was just pretty much tailor-made for me. And they were really interested in me. So they said, send us your transcripts and your student evaluations, and then we'll have a conversation. Now, I can't, couldn't send them myself. That had to come from the office at Stanford, which was the school I was at. So I asked Stanford to send them transcript and evaluations and all of that. And then I didn't hear back from Baylor for a long time. So finally, I called them back and they said, oh, we never got your transcripts and student evaluations, so we assumed that you weren't interested in the job, even though we were really interested in you, so we hired someone else. What? So I went to the office at Stanford, and they said, oh, sorry, we didn't send them. I guess we messed up. You guess you messed up? Like my whole life you messed up? I could have lived in Texas. I could have been a Texan which is way cooler than being a Seattleite, trust me. Well, the hiring for professors is sort of an annual thing, so I had to wait a whole nother year before I could apply for other jobs. Meanwhile, the church I was at asked if I would be the college pastor for one year while I waited for the hiring cycle to come around again. And I thought, one little year. What, could, what harm could that do? One little year, 26 years ago, and I'm still in ministry. Because what happened in that one little year was I got this amazing class of freshmen who I just loved, and Brian Dunnigan was one of them. 
And I thought, I just want to graduate this class, so I'll stay for four, and now I've ended up being a pastor for 26 years. One bureaucrat at Stanford makes one mistake, and poof, I'm a pastor. <laughs> my resource dried up, the Baylor job, that was my resource, but my source, Jesus, had other resources to send my way. Which brings me to the second way the name God Most High gives us courage and hope, and it is that it puts it puts chaos, it puts the chaos in our lives into order because it puts our priorities right. To say God most high means that God is the most high thing in my life. Over relationships, over career, over financial issues, nothing is more important than God. And when God occupies that top place in our life, everything else falls into place better. It's like buttoning a button-down shirt. If you get that top button right, you can, you can do the rest of the shirt. You can close your eyes, you can do it in the dark if you get that top button right. But if you get it wrong, if you put the second button in the top buttonhole, then there's nothing you can do. The shirt's just going to be a chaotic, wrinkled mess like our lives if God is not in the top spot in our lives. And you know you've gotten the buttons wrong when you get stressed out, anxious, worried, Fearful, it means there's something in your life that's more important to you than God. Because God can never be taken away. We can never lose our relationship with God. If he is in the top place of our life, then the thing we care about most, then we're invincible. Because the thing that he, we care about most can never be taken away. See, the, the name God Most High raises the question, who or what is the ultimate authority in our life? We all think we're self-directed people, but we're not. Someone else, something is always telling us what to do. Media, TikTok, Instagram, television. Someone or something is always telling us what is right and what is wrong. But to put God most high is to give him the ultimate authority, and then things start to fall into place. One of the things I loved about Brian was how often he got that top button right. When he was in college and all the way through seminary, um, I called him a young man in a hurry. He really wanted to lead a church, and the sooner, the better. And when he got out of seminary, he got basically his dream job uh, for, for, for a first job. Great job in La Jolla, California. Um, I think it was even on the beach. I think the church was even on the beach. It was like perfect. And he accepted the job. Well, he and Allie were dating at the time, and uh, the plan was he would move there and she would find a place to live in California. They would continue dating. Two days after he accepted the job, he called me. And he said, Scott, I accepted the job, but I think I need to back out of it. And I said, why? And he said, well, Allie agreed to move out here, but I, I feel like maybe I kind of pressured her into saying that. And I feel like that's not maybe going to be the best thing for her to move out here, so I think I have to call him, even though I accepted, I think I have to call him and say, I can't come, and, and Scott, do, do people ever do that? And I said, no, Brian, people don't do that. <laughs> and he said, well, it looked bad. And I said, yes, Brian, it will look bad to them. I said, but tell me more. And we talked, and then I said, well, before you make that phone call, are you sure you don't want to talk to Allie a little bit more? And he said, no. I don't, I think I did pressure her. I don't think it's best for her. And he said, Scott, this isn't about what job I get or don't get. This isn't about how quickly I can become a senior pastor. This is about the man that God is calling me to be. And I don't think it's good enough to be the man that would have given up this job for Allie. I need to be the man who did. 
And so he did. For a guy for whom career was so important, that was a big sacrifice. But talk about getting that top button right. His priorities were in the right place. And because of that, everything else fell into place. He did get married to Allie. He did become a senior pastor. It all worked out. But he had to put God first. God most high raises the question, who or what is our ultimate authority? He is over how we spend our money, over how we handle our anger, over everything, over how a church discerns its future, not relying solely on human wisdom, but on God's spirit, which sometimes calls us to do things that don't pencil in the real, you know, in the real world that we think is the real world, not pencil by human, our, our standards of human wisdom, but rely on the surprising ways that God might want to move. And Highland Park Press, I've known about you for decades, and I know one of the things you want to do is have God most high in your corporate life and rely on him, not necessarily human wisdom, which can be helpful, but maybe... God will do something different and something new. You know, most churches your size, with the kind of national profile you have, would never have called a 34-year-old, mostly untested pastor to lead their church, which Brian was at the time. But you did, because you had God in that top place in your corporate life. Stay that church, because that church changes the world. God most high means he's the source of all our hope, when he is the highest place in our life, it brings order. And then finally, God most high means God can overrule every power, problem, or principality in your life or in mine. This story is all about power. A king named Ketaliomar takes a bunch of people hostage. Abraham isn't nearly as powerful as this king. He doesn't have a big army. He's outnumbered. He's outgunned. But he goes to rescue his nephew anyway in spite of the power difference because he knows that God Most High can overrule everything and everyone. What kings are dominating your life right now? A relationship issue, finance issue, job, school issue, a boss you can't get along with. They may outrank you. They may have more power than you. They may have more social status than you. They may seem higher than you, but they are not higher than God Most High. And he can overrule anything. This name calls us to do a deep dive. What are the things we are serving? What are the things that, are, that, that we are obeying other than God? following other than God. And when we're worried about money, career, social status, whatever it is, don't let those things boss you around because God Most High can overrule them. And this text points to just how strong God is. After the battle, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Bread and wine. Does that remind you of anything? Communion, right? Where we remember Jesus' death to pay the price for our sins but also his resurrection. And the New Testament book of Hebrews makes this connection when it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was priest of God most high without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like Jesus, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. In other words, the New Testament says that Melchizedek is a foreshadow of Jesus, God Most High in human form, who was raised from the dead, showing that he can overrule even death. Our conventional wisdom says that our problems are often insurmountable. 
Our conventional wisdom often says our problems are too big for us or even too big for God. But conventional thinking also doesn't acknowledge that people can come back from the dead. But Jesus did. I met a man several years ago who worked at a car, as a cargo handler at uh, Seattle Airport, where, where I live. And he said that one time some friends of his were unloading the section of the plane where pets are kept, and they found that one of the dogs was dead. So they panicked and told the owner that the dog had ended up in Phoenix somehow, and he should come back the next day. This is a true story. Meanwhile, they went to the animal shelter to find a dog that looked like the dog that was dead, and they got it to pass it off as this guy's dog. True story. So the next day, the guy showed up, and they brought out his dog, and they said, the guy said, that's not my dog. And they said, yeah, it's your dog. I mean, he just looks a little different. You know, I mean, jet lag, you know. <laughs> He's fine. And the guy said, no, I know that's not my dog. My dog was dead. I was shipping it back to be buried. <laughs> Conventional thinking says that dead dogs don't rise again. Conventional thinking says that things don't, once they're dead, they stay dead. But Jesus rose from the dead because he is God most high who can overrule anything. Anything. And that makes us brave because not even death can stop us. If we know Jesus, we're going to live forever. Brian is more alive now than he ever was before. Because Jesus overrules even death. We know that, but do we believe it? Do we really believe it? when things get really hard. My church has been in involved in Rwanda for over 20 years. And as you know, there was a genocide there that, uh, where, where almost a million Hutus, uh, Hutus killed almost a million Tutsis in just three months. And on my most recent trip there, about a year ago, I met a woman uh, in, there in Rwanda who, whose in, husband and entire family had been killed during the genocide. And after that, she couldn't talk for 17 years. It was kind of a, a trauma response. But she kept praying, kept going to church, kept worshiping God. And one day in church, she got a thought she knew was from God, and it said, you know, my son was killed too. And she suddenly felt his love in a very intense way. And right there in that service, after 17 years of not talking, she started to talk again. Then a couple of weeks later, she got a thought she knew was God, that told her to go to the man who had killed her entire family and make a connection with him, which she did not want to do. Do you know what he did to me? But this woman has put Jesus in that top spot in her life. So she obeyed him and went to this man who had killed her entire family. And they ended up going through a Christian reconciliation program that focuses on how Jesus has paid the price for every sin, including genocide. And the perpetrators confess their sins to their victims, and seek to give restitution, and they work through the long and painful process of reconciliation. And as she told us this story, the man who had killed her whole family was standing right next to her as she was talking, kind of to show that this healing was genuine and it was real. And now this woman is a leader in her village doing reconciliation work between Hutus and Tutsis. And you'd never know she spent 17 years not talking because she was so eloquent. Now, it's not all perfect. She still has grief. She still has loss. Of course, of course. But she has also seen Jesus bring resurrection out of all that death. Jesus is her most high God. She lost a lot of resource, but her source, Jesus, is giving her new hope. 
And she has him in the highest place in her life and, and obeys him, which has brought order and healing out of the misery and chaos of her life. And Jesus is overruling her painful past, overruling genocide, so that what the enemy meant for evil, Jesus is using for good as she's become a leader in her village bringing reconciliation there. And I think this means at least two things for you as a church and for us as individuals. The first is you can walk into your future with confidence and hope. God has been doing a good work in this church for a long time planting other churches, reaching new generations for Jesus. He is the source of your hope, which means you can walk into your future with courage. Take all the good things that Brian gave you and move from strength to strength to strength because you know Brian would have wanted that. And then second, for all of us, we can live with hope knowing that Jesus is God most high who can overrule all things. I have seen him overrule broken marriages that I thought were hopeless and heal them and restore them. I've seen him overrule hatred and bitterness in places like Rwanda. Faith is believing in advance what may only make sense in reverse. Faith is believing in advance what may only make sense in reverse. And it may seem impossible now, but someday, someway, somehow, Jesus will overrule the hard things in your life and in mine, maybe in ways we don't expect, maybe even ways we think we don't want, but he'll bring new life. You know, the devil is always trying to make us anxious, afraid, hopeless. Devil loves to do that. So how about this week we pay him back? How about this week we make him anxious, afraid, and hopeless? You want to give the devil a nervous breakdown? Here's what you do. When he takes his best shot at you, you forgive your enemies, you thank God in advance for how he's going to use hard times for good, and you praise him anyway. That gives the devil a nervous breakdown because it is a defiant, rebellious act that says to our worries and says to our problems, you don't own me, you're not the boss of me, you do not control my life, Jesus does. And I will not give in, and I will not bend my knee to my problems, my worries, my fears. I belong to Jesus, I serve only him. And he is God most high, who overrules every power, vetoes every move the enemy makes, conquers every force that comes against you. He is God most high. He outranks every general. He outranks every congress, president, senator, governor, king. He is the creator of all things. He can do all things. He rules all things. There is no one above him, no one beside him, no one before him. He has no rival. He has no equal. There is no power greater. There is no knowledge wiser, no strength superior. There is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. He is God most high. Amen? Amen. So Jesus, you overrule everything. And Lord, we bring you our problems, our concerns. We bring you our hopes. We bring you our victories even. And put them at the foot of your cross and say, be boss over all of it. And Lord, I pray for this great church, Highland Park Press, where you have been moving for decades and decades. Lord, help them heal from grief. Remember Brian well and move into their future from strength to strength to strength, following you and only you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.